Welcome back to the Relentless Minds podcast. I am your host, Lori Jimenez. I created this platform with a sole mission, and that is to inspire people of all backgrounds to create the change they wish to see in their lives and in the world by sharing the examples of those who are. As a listener, you will hear the stories of ordinary men and women with extraordinary stories of overcoming adversities in order to experience the life they dream of. All of these individuals share a common interest. They desire a change for the better, and they are in a relentless pursuit to create that for themselves. If you're looking for inspiration to overcome challenges in your own life, to create a life that you desire to have, then you have come to the right place. You see, the truth is, people everywhere are fighting for what they believe in, and together, with relentless action and mental strength, I have no doubt that we can fulfill that dream. Welcome back to the Relentless Minds Podcast. This is your host, Lori Jimenez. This is episode three of a four-episode series covering the stories of genocide survivors in honor of April being Genocide Awareness Month, as well as it being the 26th anniversary of the genocide in Rwanda. In today's episode, I sit down with Liliane Paris-Umohoza, who was only two years old when the genocide against the Tutsis happened in Rwanda. She grew up facing the consequences of that atrocity in every aspect of her life, due to the mental and emotional damage it created in the survivors of her community. Being able to access psychological support during her adolescence helped her greatly to process her emotions and thoughts. This inspired her to work towards making resources and help available to other survivors who also deal with their own emotional pain and mental trauma. In 2017, Lillian founded the Women Genocide Survivors Retreat, which serves to provide psychological support to women by giving them time and space for self-expression. With the guidance of counselors, they help each other heal. They are also trained for income-generating activities for financial sustainability. Liliane has hosted two retreats in Rwanda to date, one in 2017 and one in 2018. In this episode, Liliane openly discusses her personal journey of healing her trauma, as well as bringing awareness to mental health in difficult times and the importance of being there for one another. Let's start the conversation. Liliane, thank you so much for being here today. I truly appreciate you taking the time out of your day to sit with me and, and do this interview where we can talk more about the Women Genocide Survivors Retreat that you founded in 2017. I'm excited for us to get into that conversation and to learn about the work that you're doing in order to help women to heal and to really process trauma and pain that they've experienced during genocide. And so thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. <laughs> really an honor. And so to start off, I wanted to, to, to go back because you have an incredible story about um, your own personal experience, mm-hmm. uh, having survived the genocide against the Tutsis in 1994, mm-hmm. uh, where nearly a million Tutsis were murdered. Mm-hmm. And in that, in that number were also your parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like you to talk to us about the challenges that you experienced growing up and how that led to an inspiration to create later in your life this retreat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yes, a million Tutsi were murdered in 100 days. That's a really, really big number in 100 days. And um, I lost my father, and actually I was lucky, lucky to survive with my mother. So of course, as a young genocide survivor, I was too young to remember what happened. But uh, like all the other young genocide survivors, we grew up facing the consequences of the genocide in every aspect of life. One, we were raised by the people who have seen every single thing that happened. 
like if I take an example of my mother, like she was able to escape and go to our neighboring country, DRC in Congo, mm-hmm. holding a two years old baby, me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, also that the esca- escaping is not, was not easy because there was, there were, there were roadblocks everywhere. So if it's somewhere where you would travel for an hour, it would take you days and days to be able to escape. And uh, some people didn't even make it to trying to go to escape. So she, we were lucky that we made it and we were able to go to DRC in Congo and uh, live there as a refugees uh, for sometimes until it was safe enough to come back to Rwanda. So that was one being raised by the people who really who are heartbroken, who are traumatized, and uh, who are trying to be mothers at the same time, but they mm-hmm. have had they are heartbroken. And uh, we were raised in a country that had lost the social fabric. That was starting from zero Mm. to be a country again. And uh, in a community that had lost faith in humanity, you know, everyone was really affected in one way or another. And people were trying really to see if the next day is going to happen. It was just in the survival mode. That's the kind of life that people were living. So my personal story is that my trauma started to really be very obvious when I was becoming adolescent because that's the time where you're coming mature but you're also confused you know that mm-hmm. stage yeah. and um, and I think what made my trauma really intense was that I was trying to make sense of something that would never make sense the genocide trying to make sense of why one a human being will kill another human being because they're different and yeah. some differences that doesn't make even sense. Mm. And uh, why a neighbor would kill another neighbor. I heard that my father was killed by our neighbors and close friends. And that's a common um, story for many survivors. And uh, I was trying to make sense of why us versus them re- mentality can be really can lead to such something like the genocide. And uh, that was really traumatic for me. And... Um, my education is the first thing that was affected by my mm. trauma. And because I was an adolescent, people was connecting my adolescent stage with the, with the way that the, my trauma is making me act, mm. my reaction to the trauma. And uh, this, there was no therapy, any form of psychological support. Mm. And I, I had a lot of friends. I had my mom. I had people around me, but I couldn't find anyone who could really understand the battle that I was fighting because even myself I d- didn't know how to articulate the feelings that I had mm-hmm. so I was fighting a battle with myself and that nobody knew about and um, I was really smart in school since I started school I was among the first you know students then when I was in the seventh eighth grade mm. so that's when I started really to perform poorly in school and uh, when my education was affected, I really lost hope completely because that was the only tool I had in my hand to be able to, to get to the future that I was yearning for. We were poor. <laughs> I was being raised by a single mother. We didn't have any, any, any other thing apart from the little income that my mother was making from, for work. Mm. So education was the only thing, the only opportunity that I could see right in, at that moment in my hands to be able to have a better future Mm. so when it was affected it was really affecting my emotional well-being as well and uh, I remember uh, going through depression anger frustration confusion nightmares like Mm. and I didn't know that it was even trauma 
Now that I go back and after I was able to access therapy, that's when I realized that all those things that I used to face and to go through were trauma. But I didn't know what it was. For me, I was calling them weird feelings because mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was. So, yeah, that was my childhood. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm really interested in the fact that, you know, I've, and I've heard this from the other women that had survived the genocide from Console and Jacqueline mm-hmm. about how you know, they saw it as well. Children who didn't experience or didn't weren't aware truly of what was going on during the genocide or maybe not even had, were just infants during the genocide. Later on in life, they were dealing with trauma, this trauma of like the parents that were mm-hmm. raising them, uh, you know, their neighbors that had survived and that had gone through that. Mm-hmm. And my question to that is, how did you feel that weight like why did you feel the trauma like the in overall communities if you could paint a picture in our heads surprisingly you couldn't see anything outside that's why even the people around me could even see that i was fighting that battle Mm. i think it's also something that's part of our culture where you have to hold everything within yourself because that's what how that's what strength means so for us vulnerability is not strength you cannot tell people that you're struggling because that's weakness that's how our culture is Mm. so even until today even after the genocide you couldn't tell that people are struggling people were trying so hard to hold it together to not let the world know what they're going through because that's that's the culture unfortunately so the people around me all seemed okay i seemed okay too people couldn't tell that i wasn't okay so it wasn't something that you couldn't see with the eyes but inside people were struggling and trauma is not something that you can hide forever you cannot put it under the rug forever you will try to act okay but it will show off someday and um if i take any like myself like my mother i can never think of the strongest woman in this world without thinking about my mother yeah. she really tried to really hold it together of course the culture and everything but also i think it naturally she's really a strong woman who is a who always tried to be positive no matter what even until today whenever there are challenges that she's facing or that we're facing together as a family i have you know she's always positive mm. also she's a very religious person okay. so that also you know how sometimes faith yeah. gives you a kind of form a gives kind you of, a hope gives you hope yeah and strength that yes. no then people be like why are you they getting can't that understand yeah. yeah so actually my childhood no matter how challenging it was it was also beautiful it was really beautiful i grew up even though we didn't have anything, now I always tell people how I realized that we were poor now. But I've never seen myself as a poor kid when I was growing up. But we were really poor. <laughs> because I grew up with so much love around me. My mother, really, I don't know how she was able to give me love. But that's what happened with a lot of mothers. They really try to give love to their kids, the mothers who are survivors. That's what, yes. I, that's what I'm talking about. And... Um, now I think when I think about it, I wonder, you know, it takes courage to be able to give love Why you, you have lost faith in humanity. Yep. Not only me, even the people around us. She supported other family members who were orphans, who didn't have anyone. So my house was really, really full. I wasn't the only one in the house, actually. So if, so it was also the same in the community. People mm-hmm. were really like smiling and laughing. and uh, That's incredible. Mm-hmm. I've, uh, I definitely have been amazed by reading the stories of women that were 
able to just provide so much Mm -hmm. when they themselves were breaking inside Uh and it's incredible and it's just like it just comes to show the strength of women Mm -hmm. in this world Mm -hmm. you know and Mm -hmm. what they're capable of Mm -hmm. because they're the ones that everyone leans on in these times of crisis Mm -hmm. you know and so but in your case you were then dealing you know in the in your adolescence you were dealing with so much trauma Mm -hmm. you didn't know how to process it And it was affecting your education and basically what you were looking at as as your future, Mm -hmm. right? What was it that you had to go through in order to start to heal? How did you find that opportunity for yourself? Yeah, so um, I went to a high school in Rwanda called Agahozo Shalom Youth Village, ASYV. This high school was founded by a woman called Anne Heyman, who unfortunately passed away six years ago. She's a American Jewish, and when she heard about the stories of Rwanda, the history of Rwanda, the genocide, and um, then she asked, "What are the challenges that Rwanda is facing today after the after the genocide?" Because as the, someone who is a, who is Jewish, who knows the history of of the Holocaust, and who knows how the consequences are like forever, she knew that people are still struggling, and uh, she was told that young people to manage orphans and the young genocide survivors is one of the challenges that the country is facing, and she tried to find to see how she can be supportive. So she started that that high school, and I was lucky to be part of it. And uh, as someone who knows really what being a survivor is, and the power of um, therapy, the foundation of everything of that school was therapy. You know, Interesting. It was Tikkun Olam and Tikkun Alev, which are uh, Hebrew words. So Tikkun Alev is heal the heart, and Tikkun Olam is to heal the world. Because mm. the, the mentality was that we survive, everyone who have gone through something like a genocide need healing first, yes. right? Which is to heal the heart, tikkun alev. Then those people, once they're healed, they'll be able to heal the world as well. Mm. You know, they'll be able to do amazing work that can change the world. And For that's it. really, that's what happened. Yeah. You know, I am one of those, I'm yes. one of, <laughs> one of these incredible for that. Jacqueline, Console, you <laughs> know, Placid, yeah, mm-hmm. every, I've seen it, I've seen it, that, mm-hmm. It creates a bigger purpose in your heart yeah, to go it, out and do something. It does, it does. And uh, so that high school, that's where I was able to access therapy for the very for the first time. Uh, when I went to that school, I was 14. Okay. So that's the first time that I was able to have access to therapy. So the rhythm of my life was restored, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, but I started to do great in school again. And I started to really go through the, to push through the journey of healing. Yeah, so that was one, therapy, but also being together with other young genocide survivors, you know, when you share the same, almost the, almost the same background and um, stories in common, it was really another form of healing, which is I met a lot of young people who grew up in orphanages. And I was like, okay, so now that's why I always say I was lucky and blessed to survive with my mother. Every time I say I survived with my mother, I always say I was lucky and blessed to survive with my mother because many of my peers, they grew up in orphanages or they became the the mother figures or father figures to their siblings at a very, very young age. If I say young age, seven years old. I have a best friend who became a mother figure to her siblings at the age of seven. Yeah, so being able to be with others and share our stories was was a healing. And also to access therapies was another way that I was able to push through the journey of healing. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so you were able then to have this 
opportunity to have the therapy mm-hmm. and also be with your family. And so mm-hmm. when you were able to access this and start to heal, what did you start to discover for yourself? How did it shape and mold your perspective of the world and how you wanted to show up in the world? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I was really starting to go through the journey of healing, it was a huge relief. And the first relief that I really felt was when I first opened up and shared my story with a, and that was a friend, then my therapist. And that was really was like taking off a very heavy luggage off of my shoulder. <laughs> that was the feeling. And with time, the more I shared my story and the more I went through that journey, I really learned the power of sharing our stories and the power of mental wellness. Mm-hmm from a personal perspective. Absolutely. There is so much point. It's actually the foundation of a human being. Wow. Everything, my life really got back together. Yeah, my adolescence was, was not fun. You know how when you're adolescent, you were just, you know, it's fun, right? Sometimes, you're experimenting, yeah. you're yes. going out and just being young. No, that, that wasn't me. So you I was growing up too fast. Too, way, way too fast. Way mm-hmm. too fast and in a, not in a good way, right? Yeah. So I was really trying to catch up, but also I was a little bit mature, trying to do great in school. I started really to be among, you know, top students in school. That's how I was able to have get a scholarship, a fully funded scholarship to come to the U.S. because I had good grades. I had a lot of good records in um, other activities in school. I started to be a leader, to empower women yes. in my high school. You completely mm-hmm. changed. I did. You know, what do you think it was that you believed before you had the therapy and the support and and after? Like, what was it that really changed in your mind that changed you? Yeah, so the uh, um, one mentality that I really adopted was no matter what, there's a reason to smile. Mm. There's a reason to be alive. Life is, is worthy living no matter the past. So I can't change the past. But now, how can I deal with the present that I have and the future that's in that's front, in front of, of me? You. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, so that was that was the shift in my thinking. I think that's incredible because there really is no change in your in your circumstances in life. Mm-mm. You know, and I think it's very important, like for everyone listening and everybody that is going through their own trauma, mm-hmm. that to see these examples, it's like the circumstances of your life didn't change. People that were taken away didn't come back. Mm -mm. The poverty level was the same, Mm -hmm. but it was like the quality of life within improved by being able to connect with others Mm -hmm. that had the same story or the same emotion Mm -hmm. and that vulnerability, that Mm self-expression and feeling like you had the right and then you took that right Mm -hmm. back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like it's so powerful when to be able to acknowledge that and then say, I can make this shift in my mind today. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know the the, the quote from from Brene Brown that says vulnerability is strength. Yes, it is yeah, strength. Like really, really a lot of strength. Like yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it gives you power. It makes you powerful. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's the hiding. Mm-hmm. It's the hiding. It's trying to suppress yourself, your mm-hmm. true self, that mm-hmm. really starts to eat away at your well-being Mm -hmm. you know and so Mm -hmm. being authentic and then having people accept you for that yeah mm -hmm, yeah you yeah is that what brings the strength yeah because you you accept yourself first Mm. and you accept who you are your past all of you yeah no matter how ugly your past is but you just said i accept it 
that's what makes me and it makes me beautiful oh my god then you take it from there <laughs> yeah and then that builds the confidence yes. and self-esteem mm-hmm. and yes. the empowerment and then yeah. you can spread that love mm-hmm. to others you spread it to others when you love yourself you love other people too mm-hmm. i remember how before then before my start really pushing through the the journey of healing how i was really having horrible relationships with my friends with people around me and uh, when mm-hmm. when it it's not only about you, but spread around with the people around you. It helps you with to live well with us, to have good relationship with mm-hmm. other people, to, you know, to have empathy to yourself and to the people around you. That's right. To be understanding, yep. to express yourself and everything. Yeah, that's yeah. very, very true. I mm-hmm. love that. And I'm going to make one final point before I ask you my next question, which is the empathy, being able to have empathy with other people. Mm-hmm. That's so key because mm-hmm. um, I've, no- I've met a lot of people that have gone through a lot but that they still can't seem to put themselves in the shoes of someone else mm. and to really care for that person and what they're going through. Mm-hmm. And it's like they've placed a block, you know, that doesn't allow them to connect with others, perhaps for protection yeah. for themselves. Because if they were to then say, you know, I went through that, I'm going to be empathetic. They have to face their own demons at oh, that yeah. same time. Yeah. And that's hard. It is, it is, yeah. It's, um, I'm sure there is a scientific research about this that people who have gone through really like challenges like something like some a traumatic event either they will have that empathy like a little too much empathy mm-hmm. because they know how it feels like to be hopeless yeah they know how it feels like not to have a voice yeah so what they do is just they try to break the cycle because they know how it feels like it hurts not a good mm. feeling so i can't wish that to happen to my neighbor i can't wish that yes. to happen to someone i know so i would try my best to break that cycle exactly or it would be the other way around mostly it's for the people who have lost faith in humanity gotcha. and who don't feel like you know life that they're they, broken they're broken they're broken their mm. heart are so broken they don't love themselves too they don't have empathy for themselves those gotcha. kind of so there's no way that they're going to have empathy for other people and what you can wish them is healing. Interesting. Yeah, it's healing, and uh, because with healing also comes empathy. Wow, I love mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Thank you for you that. That's incredible. <laughs> so uh, mm-hmm. now, though, mm-hmm. now in your life, I love how you've moved on into something <laughs> so great. And I was interested in knowing what was it that made you decide to focus on advocacy mm-hmm. in your adult life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that's connected to what we're talking about, how when you have gone through something and you know how it hurts, <laughs> you don't wish that to happen to somebody else. So that's what happened to me, so that's the story of my life. I know that survivors have been resilient to be able to move forward. It requires a lot of resi- too much resilience, and I have this other genocide survivor friend whose name is Frida Umuhoza. Yeah. We actually have the same last yeah, name. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, Frida Umuhoza. <laughs> she wrote a book. She came up with a quote saying that in the school of resilience, nobody graduates. Huh. What does she mean by that? So resilience is an everyday learning it's a lifetime process you know especially for survivors if you think about it today it's good you positive then tomorrow sometimes you're down right but resilience is just it's not a straight line goes up and down up and down but what makes you resilient is that you were able to stand up from the downs to be able to go back to the ups exactly so that what makes you resilient doesn't mean that you have been you know 
doing amazing the whole time. So especially for the survivors, we have been trying to really be resilient. And so I do the work that I do because I really think that it's so important to make sure that my fellow survivors also see the light in their dark stories. Yeah. And uh, that came from the way I just shared with you how therapy, sharing my story, helped me to move forward. Mm -hmm. So I know how powerful it is, you know, when people are given that opportunity. So I have to really to do the best I can as long as I'm still alive. I have to do the best I can to give that opportunity to to my fellow survivors, but also to the other people who are struggling. You know, it's not only about the the genocide, but also there's a lot of people who are struggling mentally. And it's so important that those people feel empowered mm-hmm. feel hard and they have to be supported they deserve to be supported they deserve to be supported they do and you know you are doing that work and you're doing it so incredibly and uh i wanted to talk about your initiative mm-hmm. the women genocide survivors retreat mm-hmm. which your core values there or your core your core services are for psychological support and also for that community mm-hmm. experience for the opportunity to connect with other women and share their stories mm-hmm. and so can you tell me uh, more about your your initiative and also what the mission is with the retreat yeah so um women genocide survivors retreat is a program that uh, brings together women survivors of the genocide who specifically experienced rape during the genocide against the tutsi in rwanda so i'm not i don't know if uh, everybody is aware of this but Rape is one of the weapons that was used during the genocide in Rwanda, but also it's still a weapon that's being used in different uh, conflict zones. And uh, um, so these women, as a consequence, they are HIV positive because of rape, and they, con- and they are raising children that they conceived from rape. As I said, I was born and raised in Rwanda myself as a genocide survivor. I grew up in Rwanda with a lot of survivors around me. And in the summer of 2016, I went back to Rwanda uh, to do an internship. And I did an internship with Survivors Fund, an organization that supports survivors in Rwanda. So there I was exposed to the ongoing challenges of the survivors at an older age where I was able to mm. a little bit understand. You can't fully understand the, you know, the challenges that they're going through, but I was able to really see, um, to be exposed to the challenges that they are facing. And my role with that organization was to listen to the stories of those survivors and their children so that we can use those stories to educate the world about the genocide and its ongoing consequences and uh, translate those stories from Kenya Rwanda to English. So I was listening stories that I have never heard before in my life. Stories of hate, stories of pain, stories of hunger, stories of rape. And uh, it was overwhelming. It was my first time to really meet a woman even though i knew that rape is one of the weapons that was used during the genocide but it was my first time to meet someone face to face sharing with me that story so that was different from hearing it on the radio it made a huge difference for me to learn about that from a personal perspective and i could see the ongoing challenges in the eyes of those women especially the the stories that they carry that are really heavy in their in their hearts Mm. some of the women i could see that they really want to share their stories but they can't articulate or they can't find a way to express what they went through others i could see that they they're yearning they are really craving for someone who can simply listen to them isn't that crazy yeah then i said how can i be supportive and drawing from my personal experience of how sharing my story and uh, having people who can listen to me helped me to move through to move forward through the journey of healing 
I said, I'm going to use the same methodology for these women and see if it's going to be helpful. So I came back to the U.S. and the year after I started the Women Genocide Survivors Retreat program that brought together women in a safe space where they can share their stories and help each other to heal. So that's the psychological part of the program. So we offer psychological support by helping these women to have access to different forms of therapy, mm-hmm. including creating safe space where they can come together and share their stories. And uh, that's the most powerful tool that we use in the, for the retreat. These women, they come together and they do the, they do the, they do the job. The healing part, they do it themselves by sharing their stories. We've had women who would come in and one would share a story of the challenges that she's going through because of the genocide. And the other one would say, I used to go through that five years ago and this is what I did. So because they have gone through the same, it's easy for both of them to connect and understand each other and feel supported. So that kind of support within, between the the women, it was it's powerful. It is wow. powerful. So the other part of the program is like financial support mm-hmm. because a lot of, of these a lot of these women live in total poverty. Again, when you're not doing well mentally, it's so hard to your life is really it shuts down. Yeah. <laughs> so they're unable to provide for themselves, many of them. So what we do is that we bring in people can train them about the basic business skills. And we offer them some loans through the revolving fund. Wow. They can start business and be able to provide for themselves and these serves as a psychological support in a different way when you are able to provide for yourself you feel empowered yes you love yourself you feel like you more worthy you're worthy and that's the first thing that they lose in their lives that they missing out in their lives because when you've experienced rape the first thing you lose is just to feel like you know the blame the guilty and you you feel less than human yes exactly so when you are able to be busy, do the work, provide for yourself. It makes you feel alive again. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's what the retreat does. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And after we meet for three days, there is a gathering in their villages. So those who are neighbors, they keep meeting. And uh, if they need transportation, we provide that. They meet and they keep sharing and they actually move from sharing about the genocide to what they're up to and wow. work together. We encourage them to do businesses as a group so that they can create a a strong support system wow yeah it's beautiful Mm -hmm. and that's such incredible work and honestly i can i can truly see how that is such a powerful resource for them Mm. that connection and being able to meet with people who are experiencing the same maybe have a different level of mental strength right Mm -hmm. where they've been able to process some of the the trauma a little bit Mm -hmm. differently and a little bit better perhaps to then share with the other women Mm -hmm. but it's that that sort of community that you build and then providing the resources of you know now that you're healing let's give you some skills to go out and start to take back your life mm-hmm. yeah it's it's uh, it's empowering people because i don't believe in a, actually sometimes the vocabulary help for mm. me sounds really odd especially in this context i always you know feel like supporting people empower people so that they can help themselves yes right? that's sustainable and that's powerful Yes, you know absolutely. I mean? yeah, so. And you've been doing the retreat now for two years, seven, yeah, 2017 and 2018. Yes. And you've already touched a little bit on like the results that you've had. Mm-hmm. But what have been some of maybe the highlight results that you've seen from the communities that really have like stayed in your mind and motivate you? Yes. Yeah, I have one that I was I have one. There's a lot. But we had this woman who came to the retreat and um, she had given up on taking medication uh, and she's HIV positive and she didn't want to take medication so that, sh- so that she can die soon or quickly or because she had given up on hope. 
She didn't yeah. have hope for the future, so she wanted to die quickly, and she stopped taking medication. I remember the first day of the retreat, she was quiet. She didn't want to talk to anyone, and she even told me that she came just because she didn't have anything else to do within those three days. So she just came just for the sake of coming. Otherwise, she didn't even she doesn't even understand the reason why she would be with other people. You know, then the second day she was actively listening. I was really my eyes was on her for some reason. <laughs> the second day she was actively listening. The third day, she was taking on the whole conversation. She was leading the program, and wow, with her own mouth she said, "It doesn't matter what we have gone through. Life is worth living." Oh my God! She was telling even other women, "We got this." We got this. It doesn't matter how I know. <laughs> That's that. Oh my god! It always sounds like a news story every time I say it. It's just like, it doesn't matter what we have gone through. We can live again. She was mobilizing the whole room. It's more powerful in Kenya, Rwanda, and her mother with the way she was saying it. And she accepted to take medication again. Wow. When I went back to Rwanda five months later. I called her on the phone and I said, "Hi." And I said, "Guess who is this?" She said, "Oh, I can <laughs> your voice. This is Lillian." I said, "Yes. I want to see you. I'm back to Rwanda." Even the voice, I could tell. She was like, "Yes, do you want to meet me at my house, at my business spot? She's already running a business. Oh, she is doing amazing." And when I saw her, all I could do was just crying by tears of happiness. <sighs> tears of happiness. She oh looks different even physically. Wow. She's so happy. She's speaking with so much positivity. And I was like, this is saving a life. Literally a life was saved from all of this from sharing our stories, from giving people space to express themselves. Right. And how can I stop to do this work? <laughs> Absolutely. After that. Wow. Right? And that's one example there's so many others. Oh. So Oh man, and so this is an incredible initiative that you've created. It's so powerful. And are you looking to spread it to other areas as well mm-hmm. that have experienced genocide? Or are you focusing only on Rwanda? No, I am absolutely looking forward to spreading this around in the world. There's so many women who are suffering. When it comes to war, mass atrocities, genocide, and other forms of conflict and violence, Really, women are so vulnerable yeah. in those cases because of who we are and because of the way this world is set up. It's so important that also we find ways to give women extra support when it comes to, to violence. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to reaching to more women. First of all, in Rwanda, it is estimated by the UN that 25,000 women were raped during the genocide oh. in Rwanda. 25,000 women and I'm pretty sure that it's the lowest estimation because when it comes to rape not everyone is able to open up and say that it happened to them right yeah so the first thing you do is just to, sh- to not tell anyone to make sure that nobody knows that that happened to you right because of the guilty because of the shame that comes after rape mm-hmm. so that's the number that we have as an estimation so I'm looking forward to reaching more women in Rwanda of course starting with my community but also around the world to be able to reach out to women and also to the children also children born of rape these children are facing intense trauma as well because imagine being born from a perpetrator and a survivor absolutely that's a really they are facing identity oh crisis and they have questions and deep thoughts that like me they try to make sense of things that will never make sense 
why did my father kill people and why did my mother go through all of this yes right so it's really not an easy state to be in so those children really need support and those mothers women in general they really need to they deserve to be supported yeah and and is that Mm -hmm. the reason why you were inspired to help specifically women yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. And you're right, the children as well. So that's going to be your next level to the initiative. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. My next level is just to studying from our neighboring countries in Congo. Unfortunately, people gave it a nickname of a rap nation or something like that. Because really, the rap rate there is intense. Even now. Even now, today as we are speaking. Wow. Yeah. This because of the war that's going on in Congo and the poor nation and political struggles and all mm. of that. So it, it makes it a very it's a cycle of violence, it's a cycle of conflict and women are suffering the most in that country. So that's my first move and uh, many other countries around in the world. So I know that um starting any initiative is not ever an easy task. Mm-hmm. Um there are definitely challenges that that come with that. Uh, what have been some of the challenges that you've experienced to try to grow this retreat and this initiative to help others? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, generally, genocide survivors, something that we are facing today is genocide deniers. Mm. People who are denying the genocide, there's people still deny that the Holocaust happened. Wow. Right? Did you know that? So it's uh, I did it's, not. <laughs> and the Holocaust, I, I, men- I just mentioned the Holocaust because the Holocaust is one of the well documented genocide that happened. And people still deny that it happened. So how, I don't know yeah. how, they can, how can they do that? <laughs> yeah, how so can they do it's, that? It's a stage. It's a, it's one of the stages of the genocide. You know, I there's see. dehumanization. There's division. There's the, the actual killing, and then there's this um, denial denial stage that comes afterward. So yeah, so that's one thing that we are facing today. It really breaks our hearts to see people denying an event like that. That really, when we say one million people were killed during the genocide those are not numbers for us that's my father in that number i see my father in that number i see my uncles cousins a very large number of my extended family for me it's not a number it's the people it's my blood right when people deny the genocide it really it's re-traumatizing the survivor it's really traumatic for us for the program itself funding is a problem Mm. and it's also really interesting to see how you know to see an initiative like this that is saving lives you know facing a financial crisis also it's really a problem it's it's, it's sad yeah, it's, it is, sad. It it is, is so sad. sad like it's because so important it's now that there isn't money around yes it's just because people have different interests you know what i mean so so that's why we focus on education first Mm. to educate people what happened why are we doing what we are doing because this is not only about supporting the survivors of today it's preventing this to keep happening right that's the other thing that we do through advocacy through creating awareness and this is to make sure that we don't see anybody else going through what we have gone through we don't want to see that mm-hmm. happening again to any human being around the world mm-hmm. so yes funding has been really a challenge but we are still still trying, pushing on yeah yeah trying still to pushing on and i think the education portion is very important because a lot of people don't live in that world mm-hmm. you know the world of human rights violations mm-hmm. and racism and inequality and genocide you know so it's educating them and bringing that awareness to it and then also letting them know hey it, there's a responsibility on your behalf right mm-hmm. to take action because 
I fully believe, and I'm sure you side with this, that there is uh, a responsibility between all countries and all human race to work together so that we can continuously progress in life. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know? And mm -hmm. so if not, we're going to be divided. Yes. And with division, there mm -hmm. is violence and mm -hmm. there is fear and there is corruption. I always tell people that making this world a better place is everybody's business. Ah, I like that. <laughs> It I like is. That. And uh, also... It should be a moral responsibility yes. to support people that like the survivors and the people, you know, because that's also another way of uh, making the world a better place, mm. make it a better place for those people. And it doesn't matter if it's affecting, it will affect you in one way or another. You know what I mean? It, it, yeah. When there's violence, when there is atrocity or genocide somewhere around in the world, it will affect you in one way or another. Yeah. Even if it can be directly not to you, but, you know, yeah. we share the world. And we do. This is, and we have this one world where mm -hmm. we have to live in together. Yeah. So we really need to take care of it together. And I wanted to ask you because you've got, I mean, you're just an inspirational person. Thank and you. <laughs> I love how you speak and how you see the world and how you see your role in it. Mm, and when it comes to your driving force in life, what is it? What is it that drives you to do the work that you do? Mm. <laughs> That's a very good question. <laughs> I think it's, uh, I touched on that a little bit about, uh, it's, um, I really don't want to see anybody else going through what I've gone through. I didn't have a pleasant uh, childhood, as I said. Part of my childhood was not really the one that I can wish anyone to have. I don't want my kids to tell stories of genocide. I want them to be telling stories of sciences, to tell us what they discovered in the universe or something like that, right? Yes. So I don't want anyone to carry this burden, anyone else to carry this burden in the future. So that's my responsibility and that's one of my purposes on that's this your driving force. yes that's a driving force uh secondly it's because from a personal perspective i know what it is to to go through challenges and when life knocks you down so i don't also you know don't want anybody else to go through that so that's why i try my best to support people as much as i can and also no matter what i always try to keep a positive mindset to push each other and try to go through life together supporting each other and, and to see humanity as a something that's common within us instead of what divide us we mm -hmm. are different but that humanity is what we share exactly as people. so looking at that how can we make that the center of who we are and yeah yeah mm -hmm. and i think a lot of what really helps is really developing And really acknowledging, you know, we are all in this fight together. Yes. You know, we really are. Mm -hmm. And we all want to have a safe life. And we want a healthy family and a good future for mm -hmm. our family. But I think that what becomes dangerous is when one person puts their family above the family of another. Mm. You know, and mm -hmm. the rights of their family over the rights of the, another family. Mm. And that really just speaks to the love that mm. really one person has for many people. And I see it in you. I see it that you have a lot of love for people. And having that love for humankind mm. is what really starts to create like this desire yeah. for human race to progress mm -hmm. together mm -hmm. as one. Yeah. It's just you're a person, I'm a person. And you deserve, mm -hmm. you deserve to be happy, yes. you know? Yeah, yeah. We need, we need to stop putting people in boxes. I was actually at a conference that I was at in San Francisco. We were talking about that, how we need to stop putting people in boxes mm. because of their political parties, because mm. of their beliefs, because of how they look like. Because even if they're doing something wrong, 
they're not going to be able to change if you put them in a box. Give them an opportunity to see that with the eyes that they're doing something wrong at least. Give yes. them that opportunity instead of putting them in a cage. Instead of oppressing them. Yes, yes. yeah. How do you really give someone criticism without making that person feel small? It doesn't matter who that person is. How do you first recognize the humanity that that person is human yes. first beside all the other things that the mm-hmm. person is going is is doing? Yeah. If we could think in that within that lens yeah i think this world can be a better place i know <laughs> and the question is how to start you know but we do little things like this chip away right mm. so little like the people like you that show up in the world and that spread that message mm. that is what starts to transform a little bit i yeah. mean if we allowed ourselves to be silenced then mm. the bad would overwhelm everyone right yeah, uh-huh. and it would overcome everything and mm-hmm. so we have to keep fighting against that exactly and actually uh, sometimes when we we use this word um make the world a better place sometimes it sounds like huge but what that means is as simple as one making sure that we create psychological safety for the people around us that's mm. making the world a better place that's one yeah. easy and quick example that i can come up with so making important. sure that your family friends coworkers feel safe when they are around you with their story with who they are mm-hmm. right yes. that they don't feel judged and if they have something to share an opinion or a personal story they feel safe enough to share that that's making the world a better place as uh-huh. easy as just listening and creating that psychological safety yes. for the people around, around you. you yeah your own so environment yeah yes. or a stranger yes have you ever met someone a On stranger and you start talking and you just be like wow, wow you go into deep deep story and you end up sharing some personal stories be accepting be em- yes. embrace that understanding embrace what we have in common as in which is humanity that. that can make a big change in this world oh my goodness yeah you're incredible i was going to ask you what your message for the world is but i think that's basically it <laughs> <laughs> i'm reading your mind <laughs> yeah you were i think you saw my notes over here <laughs> i am not looking at your notes but i <laughs> i knew that i have to say this so <laughs> So, so really, Lillian, is there anything else that you would like to share that we haven't talked about already? Uh, so if I go back to the to the main topic, which is, you know, genocide survivors, and especially in Rwanda, it's going to be 26 years on the, in mm. April. It's going to be 26 years since the genocide. So sometimes people think that, you know, it's been a long time and, uh, you know, su- su- survivors no longer need support. But when it comes to healing, there's no correlation between time and healing. Mm-hmm. Because for us who have gone through this journey, the genocide is as clear as if it happened yesterday. Mm. So the journey of healing is still really long for so many. Mm -hmm. And people are carrying visible and invisible scars. People are fighting battles that, you know, sometimes you can see or you cannot see. It's so important that we always think about, yes, in that context of the genocide to support the survivors, but also, the, as I said, also the people around us. People are really carrying burdens that is, sometimes we are not aware of. So it's so important to have empathy for the people around us and try to be as supportive as whenever you have a chance to support another human being. Do it. Mm. Do it. Do it. Yeah, just do it. Yeah. yeah, it will really make this world, our world will become the world that we all want to live in, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful world. Absolutely. <laughs> there's so much, mm-hmm. there's so much potential mm-hmm. yeah, and so we just have to work towards that. Yes. Yeah. It's great. Thank you <laughs> so much. And finally, and most important when mm-hmm. it comes to the work that you're doing, 
with the Women Genocide Survivors Retreat, Mm -hmm. the incredible work that you're doing that you've been able to implement and see the results of that are really, really impactful. Mm -hmm. What is it that others can do in order to help you continue to do this work? Mm -hmm. First of all, is to spread the word. Okay. Yeah, just let people know the history because there's a lot that people can learn from that history. And that was the other thing that I actually wanted to touch on a little bit, which is what can the world learn from the history of Rwanda? What can mm. the world learn about the uh, the genocide? If you see the current situation and climate in this country, starting with this mm. country that we are in, the divide, the racism, the hate, the political climate, I think there's so much to learn about. Where this history. could be going. Yes. As I said, and everybody didn't wake up today and tomorrow say I'm going to kill my neighbor that they had dinner previous day. Yeah. It builds up. It's a process. Hate. Us versus them mentality. So one is just for the people to spread the word and to learn from our history. Genocide Survivors Foundation, GSF. Mm -hmm. That's an organization that I partner with in the U.S. And uh, if you go to their website, you'll be able to see retreat for women genocide survivors. And if you can, you can donate or you can, if you can share the information on your social media, if you can uh, with your friends and families, that would also be a huge, that's that's a huge support as well. Wonderful. Well, Mm -hmm. I'm going to make sure to Mm -hmm. add in the show notes, the link Mm -hmm. to the Women Genocide survivors retreat Mm -hmm. donation page yes and that's going to be found on the genocide survivors foundation's website which you partner with yes for anybody who's interested in donating or learning more Mm -hmm. you know or even maybe reaching out to you Mm -hmm. and asking you more about how maybe they can get involved Mm -hmm. i'll make sure to add those links in the show notes Mm -hmm. um, and then that way you guys can access that there yeah thank you so much absolutely and And thank you so much for the work that you're doing this is what changing the world looks like right that's what we're talking about because this is action I believe in action. Don't Absolutely. tell me what. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me what you want to do. Show me Show what me. you want to do. That's right. Exactly. That's yeah. Right. You need to I take action. That. Action, action, action. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. And you know, like, it's all a process, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. all it's all in development. You can, you mm-hmm. see where, where you want to show up in the world, and you go out and you do that, and mm-hmm. then that transforms into something else and something bigger. Yes. Right? And Absolutely. then, so it's continuously, because mm-hmm. it's challenging, like you mentioned, in this political yes. climate, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to face people that don't even, don't understand why you're doing what you're doing, you know, that don't side with you. And I think that even seeing that in humans mm-hmm. is discouraging. It is. Because you're like, how can you not care about this? Mm-hmm. This is like common sense, mm-hmm. you know? But it, it requires that mental strength to say, there are going to be those type of people. That doesn't mean that you disqualify those people as people that need to learn mm-hmm. they, they're the ones that need to learn even more yep you know and so and so yes it's all mm-hmm. a process but hey we're, we're in there working together yeah we are <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having absolutely. me absolutely yeah. thank you so much for being on of course of course thank you so much for listening to this episode if you enjoyed it and feel inspired and would like to be a part of the relentless minds community you can join the movement for change on instagram and twitter we would also love to know how your experience has been as a listener If you haven't yet, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another powerful story. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.